The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Measure Success Podcast, where we feature top leaders on how they measure success in their business and life. Now, let's learn from their experiences. Carl J. Cox here. I'm the host of the Measure Success Podcast, where I talk with top leaders about effective strategies that inspire success. This episode is brought to you by 40 Strategy. 40 Strategy is built to make strategy work for small to medium-sized businesses and organizations, but not only designing them world-class strategic plans, but more importantly, help keeping them accountable to get it done. Go to 40strategy.com to learn more. Also encourage you to order our book, Lost at CEO. It is a bestseller. It has been an extraordinary results for those who've been able to read it and say, wow, I wish I read this a long time ago because it would have saved me from some of the challenges that I've had. So I encourage you to go out. Once again, it's on barnesandnoble.com, amazon.com, and audible as well. Well, with that, I'm really excited for our guest that we have today. Uh, Nicole Khalil has a passion for redefining women's work and both what keeps her up at night and gets her up in the morning, which means she drinks lots of coffee. Um, She is an in-demand speaker, author of Validation is for Parking. She's a leadership strategist, respected coach, and host of This Is Women's Work podcast. And I love this. I love your bio here. A stalker-like obsession. That's that's like a scary one. Uh, with confidence sets her apart from the constant stream of experts telling us to be confident, to be. And that's that we'll talk about a little bit more, about being confident in capital, capital letters. She actually shares how you build it and gives actionable tools so you can implement immediately. She also was a fugitive. This is great. I love this. A fugitive of the C-suite at a Fortune 100 company. And she coaches hundreds of women in business on insights, how to actually get to the right place of where they want to go. And so with that, Nicole, thank you so much. And welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Carl. I'm excited to be here. Well, it is always fun too. We are kindred spirits because I'm originally from the Boston area. You are in the Boston area. Because of the time of the show, we won't lament over previous sports losses or wins <laughs> um, that may or may happen. So we're going to move forward. But Nicole, give us a little bit more detail behind what is this that you really do? You know, we, we have this bio, but what does it really mean? Yeah. So I always think of the ter- the saying, I've never seen a straight river. And that's like my career. I did lots of twists and turns that have gotten me to this place. As you mentioned, I worked in the finance industry for the greater part of 15 years and, and moved my way up to the C-suite. And um, that was obviously hugely impactful in the work I do today. Having said that, I made the decision, a very difficult decision at the time, to step away from that firm and that role to start my own business. It was really led from a passion of wanting to see more women enter that entrepreneurial journey, elevate to higher levels in in corporate America. And I was very often the only woman or very few women in the room. And I wanted to do my part to change that. Having my daughter probably played a part in that being... A, a greater passion of mine. So I, I could go on for days, but the second thing I would say is 
this sort of obsession around confidence, I think, has led me in a lot of directions and to a lot of places that I just didn't know or even, you know, in the cards or of interest to me 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And this concept of trusting myself, that's my definition of confidence is firm and bold trust in self has been uh, an exciting part of this windy journey that I'm on. Let's unwind that for a moment because that's a fascinating thing of like trust, right? Because what trust, when you, 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 you we trust someone else and, and what that typically means is that we believe they're going to do what they say they're going to do. So when you're trusting yourself, what does that mean? Yeah, I would say very similar, but I think we probably all define it a little bit differently. So I would invite you, the listener, to think about that. How do you build trust with another person? How do they build trust with you? And the answer to that question turned inward is how you build confidence with yourself. So there are definitely things that I think are pretty general or universal, things like keeping your commitments, communicating boundaries, speaking your truth, being authentic, standing up for yourself, surrounding yourself with supportive people. There are lots of things that we can do that build the trust within ourselves. But I think what's really important here is when we think of confidence in today's day and age, we often think that there needs to be an achievement or a success or a result in order for confidence to arrive. And through my research and and understanding of confidence have come to the conclusion that that is false. It doesn't work that way. If X happens, then I'll feel confident. What ends up happening is you become addicted to X. The way we build confidence is internal because it's trust with self. So all of that to say, however you build trust, turn it inward. That's how you begin the journey of increasing, holding on to, or developing your own confidence. Okay. So let's, let's say you have somebody you're working with and they, by external matters, appear to be very confident, Mm -hmm. appear to be doing what they're supposed to be doing to quote unquote, climb the corporate ladder or to grow their respective business. But when you actually talk with them, it's not there. It's their confidence isn't truly there. And we all, and many of us, and I've had it before as myself, is we have this you know concept that's heard of imposter syndrome, right? Where we've put ourselves in a situation, but when we go deep within, we go, man, I don't feel as confident as it appears like on the outside. How do you help people on, on, cover that and get to that part of going, Hey, this is actually legitimate and real. You are confident. You can be confident rather than just Mm. quote unquote acting confident. So many great things in that question. And and let me start by saying I was absolutely one of those people. That's actually what triggered this journey for me around confidence and wanting to understand what it is and how you build it. Because there was a period of time in my life where I looked the part of the confident, independent, successful woman on the rise but it did not match at all how it was on the inside. I was playing a role. I was acting a part. I was faking it till you make it, except the making it never seemed to catch up. And it was a really painful and uncomfortable period in my life because it was all for show. It was all for what other people wanted or, or how it was supposed to look. And I wasn't doing anything to build or connect to real internal lasting confidence. And and so I I don't think that this is a me thing. So many people I talk to have experienced that that same thing. And 84% of people polled say that they feel confident in one aspect of their life, but not in others. And so 
this idea that yes, there might be, you know, a, a part of your life or a piece where you look the part and feel that way. But the idea of being generally confident across the board at work, at home, in relationship, you know, with yourself, taking risk, all of that, that's really the opportunity that I am offering or, or talking about here. Imposter syndrome, again, in the 80 percentile of people who report experiencing that feeling. And and it's really, I think the antidote to imposter syndrome is confidence. It's this firm and bold trust in self. I think um, there are a lot of things at play. A lot of times we confuse confidence with competence. And I would encourage all of us to think about uh, how we can access confidence on the road to competence, because none of us can be competent at something when we're new or when we are, you know, trying something different or taking a risk. Competence takes time and experience and you can't microwave experience, but confidence is a choice any of us can make anytime we want. And so this opportunity to connect to the trust that we have in ourselves, trust might be not, I know what I'm doing, but trust, I'll figure it out. Or trust might not be, I have all the answers. Trust might be, I'll be okay no matter what. And so I, I think the opportunity here is really, really big. So you're going down this path and, and you're starting in the initial phases of helping somebody to be more confident. What's the first thing that you help them out with? Like, yeah. you know, what's like the first strategy of going, okay, here you are, you're amazing, but you don't believe it. How do you take that first step? It's sort of a three-step process that I start when I work with people. Um, the first step is an opportunity to know who you are, a deep connection and and not just awareness, but appreciation of who you are, what makes you you, what are your unique abilities, superpowers, talents, what are the things that you can count on and creating a list there. I've done this enough times to realize that we are not very self-aware, let alone very self-appreciative. In doing this exercise, I find that people can pretty easily come up with somewhere between five to 10 things they know to be true about themselves at this point in their life. But when I ask them to do the same exercise for somebody that they love, a partner, a best friend, a child, the average they'll come up with in the exact same time frame is 30 to 40. And so really this opportunity to get deeply connected to who you are, what makes you special and unique and, and, and what you can count on. You can't trust yourself if you don't know yourself. And this list gives you things that you can fall back on when you're in transition or when you're thinking about taking that risk or when you're feeling fear or doubt, you can fall back to that list because it's something that you know to be true about yourself. It's something you can trust no matter what's going on. So that's step one. It's this exercise of creating a long list of things you know to be true about you at this point in your life. So of course you start with yourself, but you'll also get feedback from people who know and love or value you. And you just begin to build this list. So that's step one. I can go into step two and three if you want. Yeah, you to no, ask. I'd love to. Okay. Yeah, I'd love, please. So then step two is owning what you're not. And this is, um, I think, particularly challenging for those of us who maybe suffer from perfectionism or who have been taught that you're supposed to be all things to all people all the time. The idea of narrowing the funnel and, and shedding the shoulds and the supposed tos and getting really clear on, yes, who you are and what you're meant for, but also who you're not and what 
you are not meant for, what's not meant for you. And so some of those are things are easier than others. Like I'm not tall. Okay. That's pretty easy for me to accept. Uh, I never wanted to be in the WNBA and other than getting things off of very tall shelves, my height has never been an issue or, or, or impacted anything that I desire or want. I'll do another one that I think can be a little bit more challenging. I'm not a great mom. Now I love my child. I prioritize my child. She is fully and thoroughly loved. And I believe she came through me and that is not an accident. So she must need me to be the most me I can be or else she would have come through someone else. But I will never be a Pinterest mom. Nobody is ever going to give me mom of the year awards. I'm trying to balance being an engaged mom with being committed spouse, with running a business, with helping my dad with dementia, with there's so many things. And I am not ever going to be a, you know, stereotypical societal great mom. And I'm okay with that. And that one, I think it can be hard to say and also hard to hear. And that might not be your thing, but really going through this exercise of, okay, this is who I am. This is what I'm not. And I've, it can sound a little bit negative, but I found it to be so freeing. It's really great exercise and setting aside what doesn't matter so that I can focus on what does. So that's the second part. And then the third part is the choice we all get to make. It's choosing to embrace all of it thereby embracing all of you. This self-love is a term that's being thrown around a lot, and I'm not sure I'm totally on the bandwagon. But if you don't trust yourself, who will? And if you don't acknowledge and celebrate and appreciate and embrace all that you are at this moment while still being growth-oriented, so confident, the most confident people I know are also almost always the most growth-oriented people I know. But it's a embracing where you're at and, you know, getting excited about the opportunities that await. It's a really powerful discussion that you had there. And and I want to go back to, you know, the, the mom part that you brought up. I mean, that was a, like a significant thing that you said. I don't want to understate that because you're like, Hey, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not Betty Crocker, so to speak. You know, I, that's I yeah. think what you were referring to, right? This like, this like perfect. I haven't cooked a meal in five years. I mean, <laughs> legitimately, my husband does all the grocery shopping and all the cooking in our household. Now I do different things, but I, I'm not, I'm not your stereotypical mom. And, and when I birthed my child, it took me many, many months, a couple of years to actually accept that and, and then embrace that about myself because there was so much messaging that I was doing it wrong or that there was something wrong with me or God forbid, you know, I was doing something to damage my child. Yeah. So that is a big one. That's a hard one. And, and I'm not suggesting that other people shouldn't be great moms. If that's who you are, if that's part of one of the things you know to be true about you, then I'm all in for you. But that's just not me. I'm, I'm a Gallup certified strength coach. And and one of the things we, what the facts, right, is we can't be, we are not great at all things, just period. No. You know, and we have our innate strengths. And this is where people typically focus on their top five strengths, top 10 strengths. And one of the things we teach well, it's just Gallup certified. It's just wi wisdom, I I believe, is when you're not good at something, don't try to be that that 34th strength of 34 is never going to be great for you. Matter of fact, it's going to take away energy when you try to be great at it. So stop, stop, stop trying to do something you're great at, but you can gamify 
It's one of the things you can do. So if you are great in some other area, you, if you may trick your mind into making a weakness into a strength. But the other thing to do is just frankly delegate, mm-hmm. right? So hey. that's part of that I, uh, owning what you're not process is then understanding what do I want to do with this? Do I want to develop it? Do I want to delegate it? Do I want to forget about it? There's so many choices available to us when we siphon off. So, you know, for me, you know, not being a great mom, what do I want to do about it? Well, in some cases I wanted to develop and in some cases I wanted to delegate and in some cases I wanted to forget about it because it wasn't ever my expectation in the first place. It wasn't something I wanted or desired. It was societal expectations or what other people thought or other people's judgments and said that needed to be set aside. But I'm with you. I'm a big believer on focus on your strengths and you know who you are and what you're meant to do. And you have options for all the rest of it. Absolutely. There are other ways of solving our, our challenges, right? And, and I love, once again, I love this concept of owning what we're great and not great at individually and then accepting it as a whole. Mm-hmm. As opposed to the classic, we can be all things to all people, and we could be this all American, so to speak, of different areas behind it. Because it's a lie; it really is a lie. It's mm-hmm. it's, um, or you're going to drive yourself crazy trying to get towards there. And there'll be other people who'll tell me, "Oh, it can be done." I don't believe it. You know, it's, it's sort of like I, I it's it's. I'm going to go on a different tangent, but related. There's something called the balanced scorecard, which is the most commonly used strategic methodology there is out there, and I do not believe in it. The why is because I don't believe in balance. I'm with you. I don't believe you can't. Yeah. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. believe you can be balanced. I don't think believe what you should be focusing on is the things that can create the most value and you could, and that you create value into the world. And that's where you should put your focused energy in towards. And, and that's how we do great work is focusing on our best as opposed to once again, as, as doing these things that we need, should be hiring out for <laughs> or, or <laughs> delegating towards something else or finding another way to get to the results. I'm not saying we get ignore and don't do things. We just, once again, have to own it and help, help go towards something else. So this is awesome. I, I once again, I appreciate your insights, but let, let's talk about your book for a moment and, or at least we can, you know, for a little bit more, I, I love the title validation is for parking. Tell me about that. How did you come up with that title? Yeah. So, um, it's a little snarky like me and, um, my publisher, there's actually somebody who helps authors find their titles. That's like her job. And so I spent many, many hours with her And it was one of those things that I just said, like in the moment of being snarky. And she was like, no, that's it. That's the title. And it also tied in with, I think, the primary point of the book, which is that confidence is something you build internally versus something you find externally. And whether that be validation or compliments or a certain level of income or perfectly well-behaved kids or a certain number on the scale or certain amount of followers on social media, we have a tendency to look outside of us for that feeling we we desire of confidence as opposed to understanding that it's an internal choice that we can make and we get to build, which I think is good news because then that puts us completely in the driver's and the decider seat as opposed to playing some weird life's game of where's Waldo, where you're like looking around for who has my confidence and how do I get them to give it to me? <laughs> What is the most common when people read your book? What what is the most common aha moment they come out of it with? You know, it's interesting. I think a lot of I've heard a lot of different things from different people. One of my favorite things that people tell me is when a person who doesn't identify as a woman reads it and they're like, I got so much out of this too. I think it's just that reinforcement that confidence is 
gender neutral. You know, it's something that we we all struggle with and that we all have things that are negatively impacting it and we all have the same opportunity to build it. I think one of the things that people talk about the most is a section on what I call head trash, which is basically our inner critic or negative thoughts or whatever you want to call it. I call it head trash because I want it to sound dirty and disgusting because that's what's going on inside of our own minds. We say things to ourselves about ourselves that are never kind and very rarely true, very rarely founded in fact or or, a reality. And yet we interact with those thoughts as if they're true as if they're real. And it's a huge, I call it a derailer of our own confidence. I I think perfectionism is the enemy of confidence. I think head trash is the bully of confidence. Comparison is the thief of confidence. You know, there's so many things that are impacting, but that head trash, I think is the one, especially working with so many women that they're like, oh my God, yes, that one is impacting me on a minute by minute, if not day by day basis. Can you say those three metaphors again? Because those are really good. Sure. Yeah. So perfectionism perfectionism is the enemy of confidence. Uh, Head trash is the bully. And comparison is the thief. Love it. No, that's really good. That's a really good metaphor and analogy of of these these challenges, right? And seeing what, once again, what we deal with. And, And I do agree, once again, these concepts... Even though I know you, you primarily work with women in the workplace. These are similar things that are happening. But now let's talk for a moment while we can and have a few more minutes. What are things and why do women typically have to deal with more frequently compared to perhaps men are dealing with more typically? So what what are the biggest challenges you're running in with that, working with them? Yeah. So um, that is a very big question. So let me just go back to a little bit of research. Um, The data is showing that young girls and young boys have about the same measure of confidence until sort of those mid elementary years around age eight, somewhere between seven and nine, we start seeing a little bit of a separation. Now we get into the teenage and early working years, 20s, we see a really huge gap. And, and think about what happens in our teenage years, 20s, early 30s. These are often where we're making really big decisions, big life decisions. We're you know, entering our first career. We might be choosing who we're going to spend our life with. We might be having children. Um, and those are the parts where women are, generally speaking, operating with less confidence than their male counterparts. We see it come back together in the 40s, mid to late 40s at around 50, you know, it's, it seems about the same. And then in the 60s, we see a divergence again, and it's men who have less confidence than their female counterparts. And, and it gets actually pretty dramatic. It's a little bit scary. There's a lot of increase in suicide rates in men over the age of 60, even specifically white men. And I think a lot of this has to do because a lot of how men identify themselves is through their work. That's where they learn to trust themselves and you know their go-to and they sort of don't know what to do. But back to your question, some of the things that I think are playing a huge part are first, I think the expectation of what it is to be a woman is a lot more complicated than it might be. And I'm not saying that it's worse or better. It's just a little bit more complicated for women. We are supposed to be a good spouse, a good mom, do a lot of this, but not a lot of that, look a certain way, as well as be successful, run a business. It's sort of additive. These expectations as we make progress, and we are making a lot of progress, are additive on top of old expectations as opposed to being 
replaced, if that makes any sense. There's also a lot of expectation that young girls be polite, nurturing, self-sacrificing, others focused. And, and when you do that, you create some separation or tears in the trust and you have in yourself. If you're more worried about what you're supposed to do or what makes you a good girl, and it's contrary to what your internal knowing is saying or what your desires are, you, you start creating those separations and, and those tears. There are so many other factors. Uh, uh, the other one too is we're constantly getting inundated with messages that our confidence is correlated to our looks. Again, that external messaging that's just being <laughs> directed at us constantly and it doesn't work that way. And so you see more and more women trying harder and harder to look a certain way or meet you know, societal expectations. And again, the sacrifices that are happening internally to do that a lot of messaging around our value being in how other people perceive us, very specifically the male gaze. I mean, I could go on forever, but there are a lot of factors at play. There are a lot of factors, by the way, for men and their confidence too, but I, I think those are the nuances or the differences that are happening for women. And, and that's just a tipping point. No, there clearly is way more we could we could uh, unwrap there, but I appreciate you giving some high level pieces of of. And I thought that was really interesting how you talk about how there was similar it diverges and then actually goes inverse to later on. I thought that was really really interesting also. So let's talk about your business and perhaps you're you're working with your clients because of course we call the Measure Success Podcast. I'm always curious how do you personally measure success in from the business perspective. Yeah. So this happened for me a few years ago, again, with this, I'm a recovering perfectionist. So this idea that I was supposed to be all things to all people, I had 1 million goals for 1 million things for 1 million people. And uh, a few years back, somebody taught me sort of this rule of three and I've started sticking with it. So for my business, my priorities are threefold, speaking, coaching, and what I call amplship, which is women supporting women publicly. And if it falls in those three categories, it's something, you know, I consider or or pay attention to and create goals around. If it doesn't, the answer is no or or not now. And that was really helpful for me. So how I create success is very much within those top three. And then I have three specific goals. One is typically focused on some measure of impact is the work that I'm doing, making a difference in some way. And how do I measure that? Um, the second is because I'm a business and profitability. And so I always have a goal based on that. And then the third goal is always connected to a future goal. It's a step on the road to a five-year goal or a 10-year goal or a one-year goal or a three-year, doesn't really matter. It's I've found it can be very daunting or overwhelming to be where I am and and want to get somewhere five years out and being like, oh, it's like standing at the bottom of Mount Everest. I've, I'm not a climber. I will never do that. But I would imagine that's pretty overwhelming and daunting, right? But the way you climb Mount Everest is the way you do anything, one step in front of the other, right? One foot in front of the other toward what matters. And so one of those goals is always designed to be a stepping stone to a bigger overwhelming goal at the moment. That, that is a really good analogy too of the Everest of the overwhelming. I think that's a lot of times where people don't want to do really big goals. Sometimes they'll still get there, but they get there in a, a much more challenging way. And, and the importance of focusing on one each step at a time is when you don't focus on each step time or you're climbing a mountain, you will fall and slip, mm-hmm. right? You, you will slide down that mountain or, or worse, 
you know, get injured right along the way up there. And so, yeah. uh, you know, you want to uh, focus the right things towards that. Okay. So I love that. I love how you describe how you measure success uh, other than drinking coffee. What type <laughs> of habits? Of yeah. What, 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 and lots of coffee. What, what type of habits do you consistently do to help make sure you're performing your best? Yeah. So there are several things. I um, have a, a little bit of a morning routine. I don't know that it falls in the typical, but like I drink the same thing in the same order and I vitamins and movement in a day is always really important. So I have that scheduled in. There are, uh, I have a piece of paper on my desk that I print out every month. And each week on Monday, I go through my thing and I, you know, am I on track for the lead indicators that will create the lag indicators that get me to those three big goals that we mentioned earlier. And so just constantly tracking and paying attention. I've found I tend to not want to track when things aren't going particularly well or when I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And forcing myself to do it consistently, no matter what, has helped it so that I don't stay in the valley for very long. And also sometimes I make up that I'm in a valley, but looking at the actual data, I'm like, oh, I'm not so bad. I'm in a little dip. I can get out of this real quick. And it also is good just to pay attention consistently because when things are going really well, I don't over inflate or, you know, get a little too cocky or whatever. I I have a, a running tally of what's really going on in my world. So keeping myself a little bit objective about my business is really helpful. I love that concept of how you're you're doing the leading and lagging indicators. You mentioned that out loud because that that is one of the secret sauces of success and strategic implementation of whatever it might be is that it's the things we can control to get the outcomes that we're trying to get to. Right. And, and, and reflecting that, um, every week. And, and I love that how you also said is that I don't want to look at it when it's not going well, or I don't want to be looking at it cause I'm, I'm distracted, right. And some other yeah. shiny object, you know, and, and so you bring yourself back to, to force yourself to, to look in the mirror, if you may, or look at your plan to make sure you're moving forward. So I think those are, uh, really good, uh, explanation. So my favorite, one of my favorite questions is, you know, how, so now how do you measure success in your personal life with everything you're doing on, on the business side? Yeah. So kind of that same rule of three. First, my top three priorities in life in this order, my health, mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, financial, whatever you want to call it, my health, I'm the engine that drives everything in my life. And so the healthier I am in all aspects, the better I am for the people I love, the better I am for the people I work with and work for. And just the longer I can do it, me burning out doesn't help anyone. So my health is priority number one. My family is priority number two. I include friends that I consider family in that as well. Just the people I love, my people, that's priority number two. And my business is priority number three. And all three of those have three subcategories that I sort of pay attention to and you know how i measure success in my health you know i have that kind of figured out and my family it's it's a little less numbers oriented and more relationship and experience oriented and so for example one of the things i do in my marriage is we make sure we always have a so we do basically business planning for our family my husband and i get together twice a year and we very strategically talk through our 
professional goals, our personal goals, how we want to be as parents, how we're going to set time aside for each other, anything that we, you know, want to work toward, whether that be a home renovation or a, a vacation or something like that. So we're aligned on the same page, but we do a date night every month and we do um, a little getaway at least once a quarter gives us something to look forward to. So those are kind of different ways of measuring those priorities. I know that if we don't have something on the books and we don't have something to look forward to, that between the two of us, we've lost sight of that goal. And it's important, imperative, in fact, that we get back on track. Yeah, that's great. I, I love how you actually gave specific examples as well of, of like, you know, it is that importance of some things you can measure, right? Very clear and concise and other things. It's more of a, you kind of know when it's not working, right? Mm-hmm. But still reflecting upon that going, why? Then why is it not working? This especially on the relationship side, right? You know, because that that's, we won't have time today to talk about on the podcast, but that once again, that sense of being consistent, you know, not only on your business side, but in, in the personal side, right? And, yeah. and then drive towards that. I think another thing I appreciate what you said there as well is when this body, this vehicle we have, mind and body, it is how we interact with all things. I appreciated that you said you, prior to have that first. A lot of people don't say that, but it's an important thing too, because if it doesn't, it's not running in, in all appropriate ways, we're not going to be as good of a spouse towards others or a friend towards others, or we're not going to have the energy it is to to provide from a business standpoint of what we need to do to help earn money. You know, And so I, anyways, I appreciated that you, you mentioned those pieces and you find ways to measure that as well. So, well, and I learned all of that the hard way, by I, the way, <laughs> I was not well, I think, doing that, but you know, and, and there's a, an expression that says, if you don't make time for your wellness, you'll be forced to make time for your illness. And that's sort of where I found myself. And so this is a newer, like in the last five to seven years, shifting of priorities. If you would have asked me in my twenties, I wouldn't even have made my own top 10. So there you go. <laughs> Working know, progress. It, it, <laughs> yeah, wisdom. And but that's once again for those who are younger who are listening to this, boy, start these things now and don't wait, right? Don't wait till something good. I mean, there's always gonna be something that's gonna get, you know, wake us up. Um, one of mine was waking up in a hospital and finding out that I had one of the burst burst appendix that um the doctor had ever seen, you know. And so I got to be in there for a full week and that was a big eye-opening experience of this. Wow, you know, mortality, you know, that that's real. Yeah. And 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 uh when you can't you aren't normal for three months when you're used to being healthy, right? How do you change? How do you adapt? How do you do these different things? And so um, yeah, it's it's now granted, some things you can control, some things you can't control. However, you still have to find ways to get through it, you know, when you when you get through those challenges. So what is a book that has really impacted you that you'd love to share with others? The book that comes to mind is called This Shit Works. It's by Julie Brown. And the reason it was so impactful, I read it recently. It's a book about networking. And I am a diehard introvert, like homebody introvert to the extreme. And so networking always gave me anxiety and like I avoided it like the plague. But her approach to networking is the first one that has ever appealed to me. And I've tested out some of what she put in the book and it's actually working for me. And so for that reason, and I'm an avid reader, but that's the one that I'll, I'll mention today. Awesome. Great. Thank you. I had not heard of that one. So thank you for offering that as a recommendation to everyone who's listening. How can people connect and learn more about what you're doing? Yeah. So NicoleKhalil.com is really the best place. It has everything up to date. And as I mentioned earlier, lots of twists and turns. <laughs> That'll have all the up-to-date information. Thank you. It, Nicole, it has been 
wonderful to have you on the Medicine podcast today. Carl, thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. To everyone who's listening, I hope you've enjoyed this show. And uh, we're just so grateful to have extraordinary people like Nicole to be on it. And as you know, this is free for you. And one of the things we just ask kindly is uh, please go out and rate our show. That uh, helps us continue to grow and our pursuit to be one of the top 100 business podcasts in the US. So thank you so much for all your support. And then finally, we always like to say, wishing you the very best at measuring your success. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Measure Success Podcast. We'll see you again next time to learn from the best. Remember to subscribe now to get future episodes.